board. Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to Cannabis Karaoke, where we ask you to grab the mic and tell your story. Get inside info from today's most interesting cannabis pioneers, and from the first note to the end of the song, listen up as you get to hear the stories of success on Cannabis Karaoke. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Cannabis Karaoke. I'm your host, Danny Keith, and uh, we always try to go out of our way to find interesting stories, ask a little bit different types of questions of our guests, and just bring you a different angle on some of the things that are out there in the cannabis industry. I have the pleasure, I mean, it's an immense pleasure. This guy's by far and away deserves way more recognition than he's probably getting or even accepts. But I'd like to welcome Weldon Angelos to the show. He's the founder of the Weldon Project. He's a justice reform advocate. He's been a music producer who worked with Snoop and Tupac. And he's just now launching a new brand called Reform with uh, Calix as the distributor in California. And dude, all of this is coming out of Utah. Talk to me a little bit about the cannabis industry in Utah. And then let's talk about, you know, kind of what got you to this spot and then how you're turning that into a positive thing by helping inmates. Yeah, so it sort of all started in Utah. Um, in the, I'd say, mid-90s, you know, I started getting involved in music. In 95, I started going to L.A. and ended up, you know, meeting some big names and, you know, particularly at Death Row Records and like Snoop Dogg, his group, Tupac Shakur's recording group. You know, I launched my own career and, you know, I was also living in Utah at the time. So I was coming back and forth and I was bringing some of these acts with me, um, you know, and Snoop and I did a song called A Little More Dope to Smoke. And we did a video to it and the local authorities here in Utah got wind of it and they did not like me bringing this hip hop weed smoking culture to Utah. And so they looked at me like I brought Ebola to Utah and, you know, that they had to do something about it or they will have invited moral corruption is the way they were thinking. So they set me up on a couple cannabis cells worth a total $900. Um, and I was indicted and got 55 years, um, you know, fast forward to, you know, 2016, I got out finally after a lot of pressure from celebrities and political figures like Mike Lee and Cory Booker, um, and celebrities like Bonnie Rayett, Mike Epps, Alicia Keys. A lot of people fought for me. I finally got out when president Obama did his clemency initiative. Um, and you know, I've been out advocating for reform. We passed the first federal criminal justice reform since 1970. Um, you know, I've been working with the White House on freeing cannabis prisoners and, you know, changing changing the law. And um, we actually were able to get uh, medical cannabis passed here in Utah um, a year ago. And, you know, um, it's, you know, we're starting here at medical. Hopefully we can go wreck. But what I wanted to do with for myself, a lot of people were telling me, that I, I should have my own brand. They're like, you know, you spent 13 years in prison for $900 worth of cannabis. They're like, you should be having your own brand. You should be back in the industry, benefiting from the legal industry. And so, but I was really, you know, trying to get people out of jail. I wanted my focus to be on freeing people. And so after, you know, we finally passed some major reform and I got my own uh, initiative that works on freeing people called Mission Green, I decided to launch my own cannabis brand called Reform Cannabis with two E's. Um, refer and reform. So, you know, I wanted to launch it, but everything I do in my professional and personal life, I want to be uh, doing something for the cause. So with this brand, I want to help support the people who are in prison for cannabis in the federal system. And this, uh, this brand, there's a few thousand people in the 
in the federal criminal justice system for cannabis. And so I want to be able to put a hundred dollars a month on all of their books. I know that's a lofty goal because there's 2000 something in there and that'd be a few hundred thousand dollars a month, but I want to try to get as many of them as I can. And so with this brand, you know, the, the more we grow, so will our giving and our advocacy. Bro, that's a mouthful right there. Everything you just said. I mean, I, I want to go back to the 23 year old kid who was an aspiring music producer working with, you know, legends and, you know, let's just face it. Cannabis was intertwined with the hip hop scene from day one. I mean, let's talk about Champelli out of the Bay area. Let's talk about some of the other things that Snoop Dogg's always been a proponent of and other, you know, hip hop artists have been a proponent of 23 year old kid. You bring Snoop to, you know, you bring some music to your, to your industry or, or from the industry to your hometown. You think you're doing a good thing. Next thing you know, you're kind of, I think, after reading everything that you've that been through and that's documented on you, bit of a racial profiling. Um, you know, if it had been had been white kids doing rap, maybe maybe it'd have been a little different. You know, maybe it or, wouldn't have been or, looked or upon. country, right? Or country music or something, or nothing. Maybe just no music and just a little bit of weed. And I think it was just the fact that that the rap culture and the cannabis culture. I think it was just something that you know these authorities in Utah did not want here and. Um, you know, and it would look good for their career to take someone like me down and maybe get Snoop, um, you know, involved in the case some, to some extent. They actually tried to subpoena him. Um, it didn't work. You know, they tried, though. They were just trying to get a name for themselves, and they destroyed my not only my life, but my career. Dude, 900 bucks a weed, bro. Nine hundred. Yeah. Not even a, like, that back then, that was like a couple ounces of weed, if that. Like, you weren't even moving boxes. You weren't even trafficking. I mean, maybe you were, but you were not. That's not what you got wrapped up with. You got wrapped up with for, like, three instances of very small purchases. I want people that are listening to this to understand that what happened here. And not only that, but one of the things I think that a lot of people are unaware of is the stacked charges law, which is kind of – or initial, whatever you want to call it. That's kind of what got you, right? Like, they, they kind of yeah, added some they, charges, and then the next thing you know – you got 55 years, 55 fucking years for $900 of the weed. Yeah. And so this is how this happens. Um, prosecutors have a lot of tools at their disposal in the federal system. And one of their, one of the tools is stacking mandatory minimum sentences. And um, so what they did to me is they designed the indictment where they turned these three cannabis cells. They were $300 each. They turned that into a 20 count federal indictment and they used a, a, a misinterpreted statute to stack my sentence. Now we've actually reformed that statute in um, 2018, December. You know, I worked with the white house and Senator Mike Lee and um, Van Jones organization and the Koch brothers and all them to, to change that law as well as a lot, lot of other mandatory minimums. Um, but one thing that it didn't do is it didn't benefit people in there for purely cannabis cases like Luke Scarmazzo, who was running a medical dispensary out of Modesto. Um, again, again, somebody else that did a music video that yeah. that kind of poked fun or like, you know, was a little bit on the edgy side against the against the government and the feds and got wrapped up. Yeah. And while it wasn't smart for him to do that, he didn't deserve 22 years because. He wasn't breaking the law. He was he was fulfilling a market that the state uh, allowed through his through its medical program. And um, so what he shouldn't be a criminal. And um, I was actually fortunate enough to write his clemency petition, the clemency petition for him and his co-defendant, Ricardo Montes. And luckily, Ricardo's was granted 
um, on Obama's last day in office. But they denied Luke. Luke still has another nine years of his 22-year sentence for following state law. And it's just terrible. And a lot of people don't realize that today you could still be prosecuted federally for cannabis if a prosecutor wanted to charge you or if some agents wanted to charge you, you could be charged today still. And that's sort of why, you know, we are and that's sort of what motivated me to get involved in this, because I work with the White House. I work with U.S. senators and um, people that are really close to the White House as well. And, you know, we want to do whatever we can to make sure this doesn't happen to anyone else, And which is why I'm going to the White House sharing stories and, um, you know, going there filming my documentary and trying to work to make sure this doesn't happen to anyone. But most importantly, while people are in there suffering in federal prison, the, these stories help pave the way for legalization and, and the ballot initiatives across the country that move the needle in favor of, you know, legalization on the state level. And they should be benefiting from the legal industry. And they're not. They're in there suffering. Some of them don't even have enough money to <clears throat> call their kids on Christmas or they have to make a tough choice where they have to either buy hygiene products or call their family. And it's wrong. So we pledge to put $100 a month on each cannabis prisoner's books. And obviously, we'll have to start with a group of maybe five or 10 and then work our way up as our brand grows. You know, hopefully we grow enough where we could, you know, put $50,000 worth of commissary a month or more um, because we want to be able to keep them comfortable while they're in there, particularly the female prisoners, as they have to pay for tampons. And if they don't have money, they have to use toilet paper. It's ridiculous. How how does a guy like you not just fucking scream when you walk into one of these these conferences when you see all these people in suits? You got the Canadian Stock Exchange, the German Stock Exchange out there benefiting normal everyday guys are now, you know, who never smoked weed, who never who always thought it was a bad drug. Mind you, most of these people are doing cocaine and other things. But exactly. How do you, how do you keep your composure, man? Because like, fuck, dude, 23 years old, you were staring at a life sentence, you know, basically. Um, yeah. And you you also experienced some of the worst while in there. I would listen to High and Dry yesterday, Jason L show and those guys. You did three years or how long did you do in the shoe? Sorry, not three years, three months. Uh, yeah, three months in the shoe. Unbelievable, dude. Unbelievable. So wh- how can how can these how can some of these brands? Why isn't it mandatory? Why? Why aren't we not as an industry demanding that every brand give one percent of their profits or sales or whatever we want to call it back to, you know, initiatives such as yours and. And specifically, you know, it's nice. I know you putting money on the books is is a very kind gesture, to, especially to people that, you know, are in incarceration situations that don't have access to, to money to buy things. But, like, I think your ultimate goal from what I've listened to and seen and, you know, I've kind of just inebriated myself with you over the last couple of days coming up on this interview. But you really want to get people out and you really want to help. I mean, you're, it's a rare situation where your job's over when the last person's free, right? Exactly. And that's my goal. Like I want to, I'm not going to stop until every person in prison for cannabis is free. And, you know, obviously that's my main goal with my mission green initiative while we're working on freedom. Um, But at the same time, there's some people that we're just not going to be able to get out. And that's just the facts. Federal system is so difficult to obtain relief because the appeals are so limited. And the only way out after your appeals are exhausted is the president. And most presidents, whether they're Democrat or Republican, they wait until their last you know, year or two in office before they do anything. And, um, you know, luckily this president, whether you love him or hate him, 
has been granting commutations in his first year or two in office. And so we're going to try to take advantage of that and get people out. But there's just some people who have maybe a couple priors and it's going to be tough for them to get clemency. And while they're in there, they should be living good. They shouldn't have to worry about um, being able to talk to their family, being able to get extra food. Prison keeps you uh, full or keeps you alive. They feed you enough to keep you alive, not full. And so, you know, I feel like the industry uh, should be stepping up and helping as well, because, you know, I'm not, we're not going to be able to help them all. You know, there's probably, I think 22, 2300 in the federal system for just cannabis. And, you know, if we can give them a hundred dollars a month and at least get maybe, you know, 500 of them or maybe rotate, but I want to, um, you know, try to get other companies to do the same thing where I think we could um, reach them all. And they could also help with our initiatives where we try to get them out of prison. They could, you know, um, help with some lawyers or maybe some pro bono lawyers could step up and, and help people out. Because there's one thing about the First Step Act that a lot of people don't know. There's a provision in there called the compassionate release, which has already been there. But before, only old people or sick people could get out under the compassionate release. So now um, the first step amended that where a judge uh, in its own discretion um, can grant a compassionate release motion if the judge finds that there's extraordinary circumstances. Now, the extraordinary circumstances are up to the judge to decide what is. And judges for the last year have been granting, I think there's been about 12 cases. I think this is perfect for people in there for cannabis. I think the extraordinary circumstances people aren't getting um, charged like they were, you know, five, 10 years ago with the writer protecting people like Luke, the congressional writer um, prohibits DOJ from using funds to prosecute medical cannabis dispensaries. So today Luke would not even be able to be prosecuted. So I feel that that's an extraordinary circumstance that a judge can look at his case and grant him compassionate relief. And that's what we're doing. And I feel like if we can get more people to step up, I just spoke to, um, uh, Steve D'Angelo the other day who said he, you know, he's interested in providing resources because we need everyone to come together on this, whether we get along or not on this issue, we need to come together and try to get these guys and gals out. Yeah. It's interesting. You bring up Steve. Uh, we talked to him out at MJ biz and, you know, we interviewed him on a different podcast. I do a different one called four, two, one show and asked him straight out, like, what was your motivation to do this? You know, why, you know, granted he's done, you know, he's bounced in and out, nothing near what you or Luke have experienced. Um, but he said yeah. he felt that it was time for him to give back based on, you know, everything that, and he's, you know, to his own right, he's been through a ton of shit. He's had the IRS after him. He's been sued. He's been yeah. there's you know, there's just now winning some of their stuff, um, out of court to, to stop having that hang over their head. You mentioned, um, I mean, first of all, if anybody that's listening right now, go Google, you know, his name, go Google your name, go Google Weldon's name and see what the hell this guy has had to go through. And not only that, but you have dropped a couple names, the coach brothers. Um, you've got Kevin Garnett on your board. Um, you've done South by Southwest. You had a, you had a champion in your own case, uh, judge castle who, yep. you know, was remorseful in, in sentencing you, but, to his extent was saying that his hands were tied. Um, now you have all those people on your side. Why do you feel like it's still, it seems so common sense. Um, why is it still such a struggle? Why do guys like you have to fight so hard to bring justice? Explain that to me. 
Yeah, just, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to get other people to act unless they've been affected by the system. So a lot of people, they hear about it, they're like, yeah, yeah, but until it hits home or someone in their family gets affected by this, then, then, then that's when they usually step up. And, you know, it's just, it's been a struggle to get cannabis companies and um, people that are making millions and billions to actually step up and help too. A lot of them just really don't care. They're in it just for the money. You know, some of these companies are higher in former uh, members of Congress who were, um, you know, one of the leading pro, uh, opponents of legalization and, and fought hard to keep people like me in prison. And now they're enjoying the fruits of the of the industry. And so it's just frustrating to see that. And I know Steve, he recently got in and, um, you know, it, it was a while he was actually going to come uh, be a part of Mission Green, um, but they went their own way. And, you know, I don't know how much effect they're having in the state. Most of the state um, laws, they, that happens automatically. A lot of the expungements happen without an organization needing to spend resources um, to assist something that happens automatically. I think the resources need to be spent on getting people out of prison. And most of the people that are in prison for cannabis, those types of offenses are in the federal system. Because if someone's in a state where the, where the state has went legal, the state usually provides a mechanism for relief without even having to spend all this money um, rallying for it. So I think the money is better spent rather than um, creating an organization and paying all these high salaries. I think the money should be going directly to the individual cases who are in prison. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing new, new areas come out, you know, New York, Illinois, um, as they're legalizing, they're also offering expungement opportunities for these inmates. And again, like you said, that's on a state level traditionally. And so it kind of misses, it's almost like a, it, it, it just gets right under the bar, right? You got all these federal prisoners that are out there. And even though they may have been arrested at the state level or now a federal prisoner, and now they're that, that just misses them. And so you're kind of filling that gap um, of the state. Like you said, the states usually are, as they legalize, are use, kicking in mechanisms that allow some sort of relief or a reduction of sentence. But the yeah, and and they're not as the state system is not as draconian as the federal system. There's most of the state systems have parole. So say if a state legalizes, they can ask the parole board to let them out in light of that, or the governor could grant clemency. When you're in the federal system and that door closes, your appeals are over. It's usually that's the end of it. Um, presidential clemency is so rare. It's been so rare, which it shouldn't be. The framers never intended the federal system to be this bloated in the first place. So clemency should be used more um it should be, even president obama should have did way way more than he did and so we're hoping that this president who doesn't appear to be you know the traditional politician you know will 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 grant these uh clemencies you know we real i went to the white house a few weeks ago and delivered a letter asking the president to commute the sentences of people in prison like luke scarmazzo i think you know they're like the low-hanging fruit and they'd be easy grants they would not be controversial um, and then we have a lot of support. We have, you know, former uh, Governor um, Gary Johnson signed the letter. Um, we have, uh, you know, celebrities on the letter, um, political figures. And we got more people that's going to be joining this call to the White House asking them to um, grant these clemencies. I think it's it's I, and I think it would send a message to Congress that um, they need to do something. If the president grants a dozen or so of these of these cases, I think it's going to send a message to Congress that they need to do something. They need to act Man, I mean, Congress can't get out of its own way. Right, none of our politicians can seem to get out of their own way right now. Um, you know, I I was looking for a percentage, you know, before we got on this call, and like over, like some uh, 
Some reports say over 84% of the United States approves of cannabis legalization or some form of recreational or medicinal use. Um, why, and, I, and I've already asked this question, but I want to really go back to it. Why can't somebody, why did, why does it take, like you have done an you're like a, a fish swimming upstream. When I read your stories and I read these things and I listen to the podcast, I'm like, man, it must, you must go to bed frustrated so many days because you just feel like you're talking to deaf people. Like they just don't want to hear what you're saying or to your point, they don't care because it hasn't affected somebody that's close to them. So how, how does a guy that catches a charge like this, you know, you had a little, you had some clout, but you were, you know, you weren't, you hadn't made it yet. You were on your way, get the backing of all these people to help support you. It's not because you're a cool guy. It's not because you are, you know, you have some inside connection with them. It's because what was done to you and to others was a wrong. And, and I just, you know, people say vote, people say, get. what is, if you could wave a magic wand, right? What would you ask? What would you like to see Congress do? What would you like to see them enact to make this happen? Just commute everybody or, or like, what does that well, look like? Yeah. I mean, I think if they, um, you know, uh, made legal or, uh, cannabis legal federally, I think that would automatically, you know, get these guys out of prison because, you know, they can't be held in prison for something that's no longer criminal. Um, so obviously I think, you know, full, uh, you know, Passing a law that legalizes cannabis on the federal level, um, I think, would be the answer. I mean, Congress can also pass a law that grants them relief or allows them to go back to the judge to ask for relief in light of the, 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 the changed circumstances in our country. I mean, that was one of the justifications for my release. One of the justifications was, you know, marijuana is not looked at the same as it was, you know, 13, 14 years ago when I was prosecuted. You know, even the man who prosecuted me, who had a change of heart, you know, stated that basically – you know, um, studies have shown that cannabis is less harmful than alcohol. And this is coming from a federal and a very aggressive federal prosecutor who actually came out and said that, you know, uh, people aren't being prosecuted the way they are. Studies have shown that cannabis is not harmful as alcohol and um, and states are going legal. So that was one of the justifications for, for my release. And um, so I think, you know, Congress should give ju- or, uh, people in prison some kind of you know, mechanism where they can go back before the court, you know, like a second look type thing where the judge can look at their prison record and kind of see, you know, this person's been in X amount of years. And, you know, in light of the, you know, nation's evolved standards on, on cannabis that, you know, they should be released. You know, and looking in looking at the, you know, watching California go from prop, prop 215 to prop 64 and, you know, watching the alcohol and tobacco industry heavily lobby um, against certain things, one's got to ask, like, do you think the lobbyists of alcohol and tobacco are, are some of the people that influenced Congress in order to kind of keep cannabis in this kind of a, a space and, and to keep the, to teach people a lesson? I mean, dude, 50, I keep going back. I'm reading this on my notes, 55 years, bro. Like that, I don't even know what I, I would have gave up. I, I, I honestly, and I'm a strong person. I don't know if I would have been able to fight back like you did. That's just unbelievable. But do you think... And as you go into the space now, you'll see it. Alcohol and tobacco, they play a big role in the cannabis space. I mean, in Nevada, they're controlling distribution. And I mean, there's only 67 dispensaries in Nevada. We're down to 600 in California. Pre-Prop 64, we were close to 3,000. So how do you think lobbyists play into keeping the laws at bay or keeping Congress? like, Like you said, they're paying just like these guys are hiring like uh boner what's his name boehner onto their 
um, board, similar things are happening. They're flowing money to these guys to keep some of these laws from passing or keep things from changing. How do you fight that unseen enemy? I mean, that's a tough one because we can't even identify the enemy. I know. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the pharmaceutical uh, industry is also sure. against it. But once it goes legal, they're going to be trying to take it over. Well, they already are. Um, and, and that's the problem. Um, you know, we just have to fight back, make make sure that so I'm kind of scared of federal legalization because Same. the feds are overregulate everything. And so I'm afraid that, you know, states will have some, you know, um, liberal uh, laws and, and especially the ones with home grow and the feds will come in and, and ruin that. So I think if the feds come in and legalize, I think that they should, you know, take it out of the federal code and allow states, um, you know, not uh, not give the state the option whether or not to legalize it because it should be legal in every state. People should not be prosecuted. It should not be criminal. But I think allow to the states to decide whether they get home grow or not, because, you know, st st individual states are harder to um, lobby than the Fed than the Congress. It seems like they're more susceptible to, you know, these are are given into the lobbyist pressure. Um, so I feel like, you know, definitely we need to keep home grow. Um, you know, cause I, you, obviously some states are, are coming out with terrible propositions and, you know, you see them, you, even the cannabis industry is fighting against home grow, um, because, you know, they're more concerned about profits. Like you see MedMen, you know, fighting, um, in New York to try to get rid of it. And I think, you know, there are enemies too. There's enemies within the industry. Um, it's and, funny. You know, it's I'm funny how, sure. it's funny how greed drives that, man. It's like, we all, yeah. you know, I, I came from the surf and skate industry for a number of years and, and just like the music industry, cannabis is interwoven part of the thread of it, you know, and always was accused of being the stoner surfer and, you know, the whole bit. And, you know, the minute money starts becoming involved, it, it becomes like this, like you said, the enemy from within you got, you got cannabis brands that are basically lobbying against the freedom of the plant, which is the whole reason why a lot of these early adopters, you know, the Jack Herrera's and the other guys that jumped out there and put themselves at risk um, to get this plant out there. Now, all of a sudden, the worst fear I have is that we get a new president in who deschedules from a one to a two, which turns it into a pharmaceutical play. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. We no do not way. want that. No way. And, and one thing is like, I'm getting in the industry with my own brand and I want home grow. Like everyone should have, be able to grow their own. Like, and so, um, it's just crazy. And, and I've seen, um, some reports that Joe Biden was considering making it a schedule too, which we don't oh. want. That would even, uh, you know, I think someone needs to be, he needs the right people around him. So at the same time, it's like, people are saying, well, oh, we need a, we need a Democrat in there because he's going to be more. So, well, a Democrat could make it worse. Sure. Um, and right now with, with the wrong Democrat, I, mean, Absolutely. I don't think, I think Bernie, Bernie had the right idea. Cory Booker was my man. That was my Booker? friend. You know, and I was, what well, do you really think Biden will pick Booker? Booker? I don't know. I mean, if, if he picked Booker to be the VP, then we might not be in that bad of a position because Booker is sincere on this. He's been there from day one saying we need to legalize it from day one in office. And I know Booker, I've been on panels together with him and, um, you know, he's solid. I mean, you know, he might have some flaws in other areas, but he is solid on cannabis and criminal justice reform. So, um, you know, I, I just really wish he would have stayed in the race longer to kind of influence it because hearing Joe Biden say the schedule two just made me cringe. Like I was oh, like, oh no, um, you know, it's, it's better just leave it alone. If you're going to do that, just leave it alone and let the States do it. Makes it do some kind of hands-off policy or something because, you know, that I think that would make it worse because I worry the feds will get in and ruin it. So, you know, the purpose of this, and we kind of got off track because your story is so, I mean, it's really, I'm looking forward to the documentary, you know, because I think you're, 
your story is something that hits home with a lot of people that aren't in the same space as let's say as most uh, Americans, right? Like it's, it's a definite wake up call, but let's talk. I really want to focus um, some time on the brand. Like talk to me about what you, you envision for the brand. I mean, you've got a catchy name. Um, you've got a good distributor. Um, we're all going to help as best we can. At least I am. And the people that I have connections to what, what are you looking to release? What is the, you know, are you doing straight flour? Are you doing cones? Are you doing vapes? Like what is the product line? What, what is the, yeah. the kind of vision and, and how are you, cause you're going to be on the ground, obviously driving it, but how does, how does it get right. presented in the dispensary? So we, um, you know, we partnered up with Chris Supply Co., um, you know, the biggest packaging company in the cannabis industry. And they, they created a social equity program after they went to my Mission Green launch party at the Weed Maps Museum of Weed. And they said they were so inspired by my story that they created a social equity program. And when they learned I was launching my own brand, you know, they said, well, you should be the one, you know, keep benefiting from this because you are the one that inspired it. So we partnered with Kush Supply Co., and we're being distributed by Calix. And um, we are launching, currently we are launching eight uh, single pre-rolls and a five-pack pre-roll, but we'll eventually get into concentrates and everything. We're trying to just launch with minimal products until we can get up and going Um, because we want to be a big, we want to be one of the only brands that are in every dispensary because, you know, this is a cause-based brand. Um, And we're not offering some garbage weed, just asking people to buy this just to support the cause. We're giving you people, we're giving consumers and business owners or just distributor dispensary owners the opportunity to donate without having to donate. All you have to do is pick our brand over a competitor, whether you're the consumer or the dispensary owner, and you will have donated because, you know, we're offering high quality products, you know, at at the mid price point. And we're going to be supporting the cannabis prisoners with, with a lot of this money. So in, a, in an industry that's noisy, like it's very noisy in a traditional business, if you were doing a cause marketing play, like let's just say you were, you know, donating a percentage of your sales to feeding people, you know, you could put that in traditional ads. You could put that on the door with a sticker. You could really, there's some pretty stable channels to get that message out. How hard is it to get people to understand what you're doing? Because it's just not rampant in the space. There's not a lot of giving back in cannabis. Yeah, the there's moment. not, but, but I was actually surprised because nearly every dispensary owner I talked to loved it. And they were like, surprised. first when I would talk to them, they're like, Oh yeah, sounds good. Here's my card. And then I said, well, can you watch this really quick? And I showed them my mission green, um, uh, PSA, our video, the 90 second video. And I said, just watch this so you can understand my mission. And once they watched it, they were so intrigued that they introduced me to their buyer and they're like, Hey, we we're going to carry this. So we, I think we had gotten about 30, 30 dispensaries committed to carrying the product. We got Kaliva bloom, um, uh, West coast cannabis club. And, you know, they all got multiple stores. And so, you know, we're trying to focus on the, the tier one stores, obviously, because, you know, in order to, to, to have a, 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 you know, a reach and be able to um, feed a lot of these people in prison, we're going to need to be in a lot of stores, um, but we have the farm we're working with, ha, you know, they're huge. They got a huge farm. They can handle, you know, if we were in 300 stores, they would be able to fulfill it. And so, you know, we're starting out with three strains of eight jars. Um, and we have a uh, chem dog, which is 25%, a wedding cake, which is 21% and cherry AK, which is 20. Um, and it's really high quality. It's really good flour. And then we got a five pack and then a single pre-roll 
Um, and then eventually we're going to uh, launch a product called Ghetto Gold, which is, stands for the music industry. When you are an independent artist and you sell 100,000 records, it's the same as selling 500,000, like going gold with a major label. And so it's going to have a gold record label on it. And we're going to sell a really high quality Ghetto Gold Blunt. And then we're going to have a half ounce that comes with like a, a reform lighter and you know, some rolling papers and stuff like that. So that's going to be the a follow-up product to our initial products. So the, you're going to do eights, pre-rolls, some five packs, and then you're going to release an eventual, and the, under the ghetto gold brand, would that be the same? It's still reform. It's going to be just right, right, a right. product. Right. Reform. But it would it be, yeah, so is it going to go board. across all your product lines? Like, is it going to be a ghetto gold, uh five pack, a ghetto gold eight? Are you going to do no? Like... So the ghetto gold will only be a, the blunt, a single blunt, and okay. then a a half ounce that we're going to put in like a can that comes with a lighter and uh, blunt wraps. Cool. So how, um, how are that's you going to come after? How are you using um, your relationships with the music industry? Like, are they going to come out and and help put their voice? Yeah, behind and that's this? sort of how I'm doing it because most of my contacts in the entertainment were the ones that pushed me to do a brand you know a lot of them kept telling me why don't you have your brand they're like you know even you seen uh when i went on uh the, the high and dry he was like you know you heard him he's like you 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 should have your own brand like you pay rent for this shit you know what i mean he said i would smoke nothing but your brand if you get your brand so you know jason ellis was one of the ones that pushed me all these different celebrities that i'm around were telling me you know you need to have your own brand um, even when I was showing KG my doc, he was like, "Man, you got your own brand." He, I was like, "No," he said, "You need to get one." He said it would, you know, do really well because, you know, a lot of people think that I should be in the in benefiting from the legal industry. You know, I was, you know, a cannabis uh, salesman, you know, in, since I was probably, you know, 15, 14, 15 years old, um, and you know, I just just been a part of the culture, the hip hop culture. You know, we made uh, songs about smoking weed videos. We did a whole video with Snoop. Or smoking footlong joints, you know, made with a bunch of, uh, you know, wraps together. It was falling apart while we're on the Puff Puff Passport. <laughs> so, you know, cannabis has always been, you know, a part of my life just from, you know, early on. Um, I, my, you know, when I, what made me want to get in rap was Snoop Dogg when, you know, when he came out with his, you know, doggy style album and Dr. Dre the Chronic and, you know, the weed leaves and everything. And that's what got me into it, like, you know, got me involved in all that. And then that, next thing you know, I end up, being in Snoop's house, you know, falling asleep on his couch playing PlayStation with his young sons and getting whooped. But, um, you know, that's sort of what got me into this. And, you know, now I want to kind of use that. I mean, I've been wanting to get in the industry anyway. So, you know, just adding the cause element is is simply because I want to do something, you know, for this cause in everything I do. My documentary is going to help the cause. You know, we're going to do um, screenings and, and we're going to donate the proceeds to help the cause. So everything I do is going to be a part of the cause, whether it's my professional life or my personal life. And so anything I'm doing that's going to, you know, bring me a prop, profit or revenue, I'm going to do something, you know, to give back. Dude, that's heavy because I'll be honest with you, man. Not a lot of people would have jumped in the space. A lot of people would have counted their blessings and disappeared and they wouldn't have done anything else. Like how does... What does your family think? Like, what do your friends think? Is anybody telling you you're crazy? Some people do because they're like, you know, um, the, the, it was just a nightmare, you know, just to even like some people tell me when they get out, I don't want to see a court book. I don't want to hear about a sentence. I don't want to see anything. And they're just like, you know, you need to move on with your life because I spent the last almost four years advocating when I could have been building my career. I could have been getting back in music and I could have been doing so much more. But I look at it like this. 
had I not had people like me when I was in prison, I would still be in there. So uh, those people I left in prison, I left behind. They need, they need me to be out here to be the voice for them because I was given a unique platform. Not a lot of people can, you know, had the support network I did when you have people like the Koch brothers and Senator Mike Lee and, you know, working and, and working side by side with liberals like Cory Booker, Bonnie Rayett, Alicia Keys, you know, Snoop Dogg, all these people. It was just a crazy coalition. Even the Washington Post was one of my biggest allies. I mean, they they put me on the front page three times, basically begging a President Obama to release me. Um, so, you know, we I just had a lot of allies and um, it took it took 13 years of all this pressure just to get me out because the feds really wanted to keep me in prison and send a message you know, to people like me and they wanted to justify their actions. So it was just a, a crazy, you know, case that just went, became political. At some point you must've thought I'm not getting out of here. Sometimes. I mean, I had times where, you know, I got down. I'm like, you know what? I'm probably just going to die in prison and I would rather die sooner than later because prison's hell to me and, you know, just not having any freedom to t- take away your dignity um, especially in finance, it's a burden to your family, you know, because you, you can work in there, but you don't make much. So you have to suffer because you don't get the things you need. And like, you know, especially if you're someone like me who's hypoglycemic, you know, the little three meals they give you is not enough for me. And so, you know, being in there and not having the resources and not being able to ha- come see your kids because you can't afford to fly your family out because the federal prisons are spread out across the country. They could send you on the other side of the uh, on the other side of the country. It doesn't matter. And um, it's just crazy. So I would, you know, I was thinking that if I'm not going to get out, I'd rather just be done. Um, So, but, you know, I have my sister out there who was really pushing for me and she never gave up. My judge is, which is the reason why I'm out for sure. um, You know, he was the first judge in history and out of federal judges to actually call on the president to commute a sentence while he was sentencing someone. So, you know, he had sent, he had, you know, sent signals that he didn't like what was, what was happening. And he actually ordered the government to, to justify if this sentence is even constitutional. And, you know, at the end of the day, he found that it, that it was, but it was wrong. And so he wrote a 65 page opinion decrying the sentence and saying how unjust it is. And this is a conservative George W. Bush appointee. This ain't some bleeding, you know, liberal, bleeding heart liberal. This is someone who is known for being tough on crime, someone that was against the Miranda rights. Um, so this was a shock to everybody. And um, so having him say that, you know, really got people's eyes looking at my case. And it actually got other conservatives to change their position because there's some members of Congress who are like, well, we'll I, we should never reform the system. And then people showed him my judge, you know, Judge Cassell. They're like, oh, yes, he's a respected jurist. And he said, well, read this. And, you know, they look at Judge Cassell, who's a member of the Federalist Society, super conservative. And he, you know, laid out this opinion why this sentence should be unconstitutional. Um, but but prior Supreme Court precedent, you know, precluded a ruling that it, my sentence was unconstitutional, although he felt it. He called it cruel, unjust and even irrational. And so, you know, with that, you know, it, it got people looking at my case. It got conservatives 
And um, ironically, Senator Mike Lee was a prosecutor in that office that prosecuted me. And he was a conservative. You know, he's one of the most conservative members of Congress. And he did not agree with my prosecutor's actions. He was like, this sentence is ridiculous. And so when Senator Mike Lee left the U.S. Attorney's Office, he ran for the Senate. And when he was elected, he remembered my case. He remembered my judge's story. And he, he did not he did not. Uh, want to sit there and do nothing. So he had reached out to my family and he worked to get me out of prison. He called, he wrote a letter to President Obama asking for my immediate release. And he wrote a law, they called it the Weldon fix. And, you know, they, and we eventually, I got out and I worked with Mike Lee to pass that bill. Dude, thank you. I mean, I hope you know how much the industry appreciates you. Maybe they don't say it, maybe they don't show it, but guys like you are invaluable. Um, and are a one in a million. Like I said, from the very beginning, what the thing that's impressed me the most is you haven't even been out three and a half years. You know what I mean? Going on barely going on four years right now. And the amount of tracks you've laid since you've been out is straight OG. No bullshit. You are, you are walking the walk and talking the talk and not using some bullshit excuse to do anything. You are genuinely trying to help. And so, what I want to do right now is I want you to plug your brand. I want you to plug your websites. I want you to plug your social media. And then I want everybody that's listening to this thing to get a hold of Weldon and provide any help you can because it's your duty to, if you're going to play in the cannabis space, um, you have an obligation to give back. And if you don't, then karma will get you and shame on you. So Weldon, do me a favor, plug your website, take as long as you want to talk about the brand um, give out Calix's number if you want. Whatever you want to do, you got a couple minutes just to rattle it off. Yeah, so our website's actually, I think it went live today, which is reformcannabis.com. It's two E's. I put reefer and reform together. So hopefully it's obvious what it means and stands for. But yeah, my website's reformcannabis.com. And you know, most of my work I do on uh, social media. Instagram is just at Weldon Angelos. Um, and, and I'm also my, uh, project mission green Instagram at project mission green, um, where you can follow and stay tuned to all the news and our Instagram for my, my, uh, cannabis brand is, is reef two E. So R E F F under, no R E E F underscore O R M. Um, and yeah, that's it. Is there a place that people can do? Do you take donations to help? Yeah. Yes, on our uh, Missing Green website. If you go to the WeldonProject.org, um, you can go there and you can see our Mission Green video. If you go to the WeldonProject.org, there's a, a Mission Green section that has a video that kind of you know talks about the people who's a part of us, who we're working with, all the different celebrities that are a part of this project, and you can go on there and donate directly. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure that we do a little blog follow-up when we post this uh, podcast, which I'll get this out probably later today, if not tomorrow. But I'll make sure to list your social media handles, your website stuff, um, and make sure that people know, just the average person knows where they can go and donate if they would like. And then, um, like we talked about offline, down to help you in every category, my friend. You are a champion in my eyes, and I appreciate you not only taking the time to talk with me Thanks, and, and share your story but just your fucking drive and desire to right the wrongs. And so I'm, I'm always going to be here for you no matter what you need. And uh, we can talk more about that after we get off. Yeah. We need people. 
we need people to go to um, dispensaries and ask ask them for reform. Um, you know, we we're trying to get in as many dispensaries as possible, and anyone in California um, that's you know going to the dispensary, make sure they ask them if they carry reform, um, and try to find the dispensaries that do carry it. Man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. I I appreciate you giving me some time today, and I hope that uh, every day you wake up, you realize that you're you're gathering more and more support from people that have just begun to learn about you. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cannabis Karaoke, another kick-ass podcast about all things cannabis. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and our website, CannabisKaraoke.tv. And if you or someone you know would like to be on the show, please hit the Book Your Interview button on the right. Cannabis Karaoke, grab the mic and tell your story. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.